Hello, Frank. My dad kidnapped me once. A holiday is what this will be. You and me, son. On 12th of October, 2004, my dad popped out to buy a bottle of milk and never came back. Frank Burton. That's my name as well. I'm Frank Jr. Of course, your investigation. I know about your secret flat. I have an irrational fear of traffic wardens. Stop sticking your nose into matters that don't concern you. I was Frank Burton's wife and Frank Burton's mother. That was everything I am. Maybe it's like kosher or halal? Kosher or halal bacon, that's a new one. Everything I am. You and me, son. Everything I am. Everything I Am is the brand new novel by the author and podcaster Frank Burton. Available as a paperback, ebook, and audiobook, which is currently available for Name Your Price. Find all the details at frankburton.co.uk. Frank Burton. Another tremendous guest for you this time. It's Georgia Train. You may know her from the band Bitter Ruin. You've probably heard various songs that she's written for other artists, but today we're talking about Georgia's work as a solo singer-songwriter and the brand new album which is called I Do. It's a masterpiece. What else can I say? There's a great story behind it which you'll hear soon, but first here's a song from the album. This is called Pressure. Make you bend away from who you were 
Well, the story is that I haven't released any music for five years and I've been writing for other people instead. I kind of lost the love of writing for myself as an artist uh, in about 2016 um, and just even though I was I was in a position where I could have carried on going and, and it would have supported me as a career, it just didn't fulfill me. And I felt like uh, it was quite lonely. I had been in a band and then I was solo and it just didn't feel right not kind of interacting with people. And so I had about two years of basically feeling like uh, I wasn't sure whether I wanted to do music full stop. But at the same time, I kind of got involved with this writing team called Xenomania, who are uh, kind of mainly known for writing everything for the Saturdays and the Sugar Babes. And uh, their main one is Girls Aloud. And they do that really cheesy, oh, I don't want to, I shouldn't say cheesy, but very bubblegum pop uh, kind of stuff. I actually really loved it. And it it made me realize that I had a really strong love for songwriting still. And so I just wasn't really sure why... I didn't want to connect that to myself as an artist. So there was something weird going on there. And psychologically, I'm sure there's more to delve into with that. But fast forward five years, and I am now in a place where I've got a home studio finally of my own. 
and it felt like a really creative space and I was using it to write for other people and writing to briefs and I was getting songwriters in every day of the week and of course COVID hit and I'm just here with an empty music studio and so a lot of it to be honest with you was that I thought well I've got all these songs that I've written which I love and I still think they're good songs and although they're personal there's no reason why I can't put them out and so I just recorded them and put them out because I had the time and I had the space and it felt like a really important time for, to, to do it in the way that I have as well which is that I just wanted to put the whole album out no singles it's incredibly intimate it's very isolated it's just me and a piano and I, I in a way I don't think I'd have gotten away with that if it was just normal life and COVID wasn't affecting us all in the way that it is and making us isolate so it just felt right to do it. Yeah, it's, I don't want to put a positive spin on coronavirus, but it is quite a, a nice um, positive story to come out of the lockdown experience. Would you say that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was talking to someone this morning about we looked at what was the best thing since the lockdown hit and what was the worst thing. And the best thing definitely for me that's that's come out of this is that it has re-inspired me or I don't know if re-inspired is, is the right word, but it, it's given me the space to make an album. And yeah, it's, it's interesting what you say, because I was listening to it. I didn't know the story behind it when I first heard it. And I thought one of the things that I thought when I first heard it was, isn't it nice to have just a voice and a piano? Because mm. you don't often hear that. Yeah, totally. I think I have always wanted to release these songs subconsciously. But I think there must have been something stopping me. And, and I, in hindsight... I think it's because I knew that the way that I wanted to release them was like this, just voice and piano. But when there's such anticipation, you know, when you haven't released something for five years, everybody wants, you know, it felt like it was going to have to be something big and it felt like the production was going to have to be absolutely perfect and there might be a lot of judgment. And by having these restrictions and not being able to work with a producer other than myself and not being able to employ musicians and and engage people in, you know, getting an orchestra or something like that involved, it just meant that actually it gave me like an allowance to just do me um, and that I think people are more open and more receptive to that because they understand the limitations because we're all in the same boat and we're all being limited. And it's the same as now, you know, we're all so used to having a Zoom meeting and seeing kids and and animals, dogs and cats and stuff in the background. And it's no longer considered a sign of unprofessionalism. It's just life. And everyone's kind of, I think, warming to that idea. It's quite cool. Tell me about the uh, the track-by-track track commentary that you've recorded. Yeah, it's something that I've always liked when I've heard other bands and musicians do a commentary. Um, I I know it's not for everybody, um, but personally, as a songwriter and an artist, I'm enthralled by other people's processes and especially other people's lyrics. I don't think there's anything massively important or special that I'm trying to communicate or say with this album but I was trying to say something and so there were little things that kept coming up where I felt like oh there's a nice story behind this or there's an explanation behind it and to be honest it's always something that I've wanted to do is a commentary to an album but it's the first time that I've had time to do it to sit down and do it and and to think about what I wanted to say and yeah, and just be in the mood for it. I didn't decide that I was going to do the commentary until 
I sort of announced the album and as I was announcing it I was thinking how can I how can I announce this album that has no singles and still sort of highlight certain tracks afterwards and so I came up with the idea of the commentary as being you know uh, where you would normally spend that promotional time talking about the single that's due out I just kind of wanted to do it all in one go so that's how it came out one thing that I noticed when I was listening to it earlier was that one thing that I think you're good at is kind of paying yourself a compliment when you've done something really well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew it, that it, someone it, was going to notice that. <laughs> I felt that. Yeah. Okay. It's really good though, because a lot, I mean, a lot of artists wouldn't do that. They just record something and then immediately hate it. And then if they're talking about it, they, they would find it difficult to actually say something nice about it. Yeah. I mean, there is a lot of that as well. Like, don't get me wrong. Uh, there's a lot of me hating myself happening on a daily basis <laughs> but there is um I think if you're going to be brash enough to think that your work is of a- enough value to do a commentary about then you've got to admit you like it right so and there is so there's that and then there's also the fact that um you know I have been a songwriting teacher and consultant and so it's my duty to demonstrate good practice and and I'm, I'm constantly, constantly telling my clients that they mustn't doubt their own work and they mustn't, you know, if, if something's not good enough for you to accept a compliment or talk proudly of it, then it's not good enough to go on the album and it needs changing, it needs editing. So, you know, there is that as well, which comes from my my work with other songwriters, I think. When you I wouldn't see you are someone to love, someone to love. One thing that you get from listening to the commentary as well is just kind of how personal the the songs are to you and containing specific elements of your own life and yeah. uh, things like that. Do you get, is there a difference between um, the songs that you write for other people and songs that you write for yourself as a recording artist? Do you also put a lot of kind of personal detail into a song for somebody else? No, I tend not to put personal details into other people's songs. Um, it tends to be a a session with another artist and I'll get to know what their brief is. Even if they don't think they're giving me a brief, they are when they're talking to me about what they want to to communicate with the song. Songwriting is 
a lot of it is just about being friends with the person as well. And I think you write your best songs with your best friends. And if you're connecting on that level, then you've probably had some shared experience. So it's very easy for me to slip into the shoes of the people that I'm writing with a lot of the time mentally and at least try and and get somewhere close to what they're thinking and what they're trying to communicate. So I wouldn't say... I wouldn't say I don't put myself into it, but I don't put personal details into other people's songs. It always comes from them. Uh, do you find yourself in a position where you're writing something and you're putting a bunch of personal stuff in there and you, you think to yourself, well, that's going to have to be for me now? Totally. Yeah, totally. In fact, one of the songs, uh, which is a song called Home, which is on the album, that song was originally for someone else. There was a song called Try to Fail, which was for somebody else. Yeah, maybe the reason that they didn't connect was because it was too much of me. Um, but what was what was interesting is I was able to take the core of the song and then go back and make it more personal once I knew it was definitely going to be a song for me. So broadly speaking, I, I still think they were they were fairly accessible. Um, but then I did feel a need to to take them back and reclaim them and, and make them even more Georgia. I have to say um, my favourite track on the new album is... As it turns out, the one that you wrote in 20 minutes and recorded in an hour mm-hmm. um, on Holy. Yeah. Um, so well done. <laughs> well done for that. Um, <laughs> how was that process for you of uh, just oh, kind of... I was buzzing writing that song. Um, it's also my favourite, I think, if I had to have a favourite. It was weird because I knew that I wanted an acapella, a fully acapella song. And I think... The, the knowledge of that made it really easy to write because I, I didn't have so much to, to worry about and play with. I listened to a couple of interesting... What I tend to do before I write songs is I listen to a couple of interesting songs that I've heard from other artists to sort of take me into a, a certain world or a certain zone. There's no sort of direct plagiarism, but there's definitely, a, you know, assisting me to to get into a place and so I listened to a couple of tracks and just became really inspired um there was a particular song I can't remember what it was now but there's a particular song that had like a slide in it and as soon as I I sort of had the the holy um word on that slide it kind of almost felt finished because that was as spiky as that song needed to be it just the rest of it just needed to be nice chords and nice harmonies so that was the writing of it that like I say like 20 minutes to just write the chords and the melody and then the recording of it similarly I mean I knew what I wanted I wanted gospel choir behind it and I've arranged for choirs before so I knew how that all went and I knew what needed to be sung where um, what in what type of style so that was just a case of laying down the right notes in the right time and then the Gregorian chant was a complete fluke I'd finished the song and it was about a minute and 20 seconds, something like that. And I thought, oh God, why is it so short? It's because I've only written it in 20 minutes, damn it. <laughs> Everyone's going to know. And so I just thought, oh, okay, well, maybe there's something else I can do with an intro. Maybe I can get the the gospel choir behind me, which of course is just all my voice stacked up. Um, maybe I can get the gospel choir to be doing something else as the intro. Um, and so I just started playing around with ideas and then and then the, the gospel choir turned into a, a Gregorian choir. <laughs> and it wasn't, it was like two different characters and two different worlds blending. I think this kind of comes, it's really geeky music theory stuff, but 
for me, it kind of comes down to how I like playing with sort of different modes and different scales within one piece. And it was really nice to be able to explore how you take someone into a certain mood and a certain world and then and then staying within the same key, but coming out of that world into a different one. So it was kind of a it felt like a journey then, which was then became the whole concept of that song. So it's quite a heavy importance on that chant now. Great. Just hearing about how quickly it was done as well, it just sort of, I can relate to that myself, but then I'm, I'm not a musician, but I'm a fiction writer. Mm. And I often feel like I can spend hours working on something that turns out to be mediocre. And then I'll spend five minutes making something that's the best thing that I've ever written. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> do, do, do you have that with music as well? Oh, absolutely. But then conversely, Pressure, which is track number four on the album, is also one of my favourites. If I had to choose between all of the tracks, my two favourites would be Pressure and Unholy. And Pressure is the absolute opposite to that, which is that it took me so long to write. It was an absolute headache to construct. Time and time again, I, I just ditched it and, and I got really annoyed and, you know, gave up and then the next morning went back to it and thought oh well I haven't got anything better to do I might as well carry on with this song um and it was just yeah it was a horrible thing to write but it's now one of my favorites so I think the old story of your best songs are the ones that you write just when you're sort of you know mind vomiting and just come out as one stream of consciousness I think there is a lot of truth to that having said that they are the simplest. And so there is something good about simplicity. A lot of very, very good songs are the simplest songs. And that's, you know, allows your audience to capture them, memorize them quickly, understand the message quickly. They're often raw and honest. And you can you can feel that it's uh, just a, coming from a very honest place. And that's what's good about those songs. But there is also space for something that has been thought about and constructed and and built and and rebuilt and and worked on and edited for a long time as well as a as a piece of art so I think I wish all of my songs could be written in 20 minutes but they're not and they do produce a very different thing just a note that I made when I was watching your um YouTube video earlier on uh-huh. and uh, you mentioned about um some of your songs being and have influenced by Disney songs, mm. which I really like. I find that quite refreshing because you don't really hear people say that very much, I guess, because it's not cool. Well, I mean, you know, it's not cool, but this album, none of this album is cool. It's not for people that, that are trying to be cool. And I wasn't trying to be cool releasing it. And that's the first time I can honestly say that as well. Um, and I think the, the Disney theme, um, yeah, I mean, I'm specifically talking about very old Disney films um in particular I'm talking about Snow White and Bambi and um there's something about um those soundtracks and there's something about the choral arrangement in a lot of old jazz standards and Christmas Christmas songs um like like White Christmas um which uh just have a an extremely comforting feel to me but at the same time the the way in which they're recorded and the way in which you can hear the choir is recorded live in the room and you can hear the the actual textures and tones of each of those people's voices and it's quite haunting um thinking that those people may no longer be around as well so there's always a very eerie um kind of quality to a lot of these old soundtracks that I like to listen to but mainly I think the like with a lot of music 
as we as technology has advanced and as we have as a music industry i think personally become more vacuous and and product driven the quality of of the music talking from a specific like music theory point of view and a classical point of view the quality of the music is diminishing and that's because no one is going to pay a choral arranger the hundreds of thousands of pounds that they would demand these days to arrange such beautiful things. And so you just end up getting very bog standard harmonies where they need to be. And if you listen to some of the old soundtracks, I mean, the harmonies and the the intricacy of the arrangements is amazing. Absolutely incredible. And I just think that's um, it's something you only you only really see in soundtracks. And I guess Disney soundtracks the reason Disney is is simply because that's where I was hearing most of the choral stuff. So a lot of other films would have been accompanied by soundtracks, but they would have been mainly instrumental. Um, whereas Disney incorporates music, it's you know it's musical theatre a lot of it. Yeah, interesting. So you're, you're currently in, in in a position where you're looking to promote your new album, but it's under rather different circumstances to what it usually would be so you're I guess we don't know when anyone's going to be able to play live again for example and uh, I'm aware also that you're you know you're coming back to being a recording artist having been away for a number of years so uh, what kinds of things are you doing to kind of promote the album? Uh, Nothing (laughs) nothing I'm honestly you know to be honest with you Frank I, I made this album because I was finding it cathartic and I was finding it enjoyable. Um, I didn't really, in the nicest way possible, I didn't really care if anyone bought it. It didn't cost me any money to make and it certainly didn't cause me any hardship to make. Um, I enjoyed the process. So now I'm in a bit of a predicament because now I feel that, now that people have responded really well, I feel like I should be doing something to back all of that up. But honestly, I didn't plan anything. I didn't, I don't have any kind of team around me. I'm not working with management or a label. So God knows, really, I don't have a plan. I know that's bad. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> and you know what I do like doing though? I do really enjoy doing this. And and the thing that the, um, the reason I guess I was, trying to do the commentary was that I've, I'm a massive fan of podcasts and I listen to podcasts on a daily basis. Um, it's pretty much all I do, to be honest, for entertainment. And I love the art of talking about the about an artist's process and, and journey. And I think if I'm going to do any kind of promotion, it will just be more stuff like this and just talking to people. And, and that, interestingly, is just what's working right now as well in terms of promotion and, and people getting themselves heard because everything has to be online. And um, and I also think people have a bit more time to invest themselves in one artist and stay with them for, for a, a given amount of time and get to know an artist right now. Whereas, I don't know, there was just so much going on in, in regular life before COVID that there wasn't enough space or time to really get to know an artist. Oh, that's how, that's how I feel anyway. Yeah, great. Yeah, doing this podcast, for example, is is a good thing in itself in that you you you're reaching people who you wouldn't have reached if you were kind of playing a gig locally to yourself. Because um, yeah. I mean, most most of my listeners are in America. Oh, cool. And uh, I think the point that I'm making is that you're kind of reaching an audience that you wouldn't necessarily have reached 
just from doing UK-based promotional stuff. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I could spend my whole life now just making music in a studio and promoting it on podcasts only. That would be my ideal scenario for campaigns or PR. Um, I don't really... I don't really feel any need to be on social media flogging myself with, you know, I don't know, I don't even know what they're doing on social media now, but I've got a lot of, a lot of my clients are really slogging away at the music industry at the moment. And, you know, and you hear all sorts of things like the album is dead, only release singles, and it's just none of it really appeals to me. And um, I find it all quite sad. And I, I think that was the part of the music industry that I was really disappointed by five years ago and needed to break free from. So now that I'm in a position where, thankfully, thanks to my amazing fans, I've sort of reconnected with a, a bunch of them and I feel like they're going to support me and they've got my back. I do feel like I've got a bit more freedom to ignore that kind of world, that kind of social media driven world and stats driven world. And I've got no interest in getting my Spotify streams high. You know, I'd rather people came over to Bandcamp and engaged with me there because Spotify is ridiculous for musicians. So it, I, I'm a real believer that I'm not about the numbers. And so I don't really see myself promoting anything ever again unless it gives me some kind of pleasure. And, and to do podcasts is something that I find interactive and I get to meet new people and we have interesting conversations and it stimulates the brain. And yeah, it's cool. And it's it also just it, it's uh, in synergy with me as a person because I listen to podcasts and so it makes sense for me.
Thank you for listening. Check out Georgia Train's new album, I Do. Links are in the show notes. What a great guest. Now, let's talk about me. I have three books available to buy on Amazon. All the details are on my website, frankburton.co.uk. Also, that website is the only place where you can see all 12 episodes of my video series, The Ragbag Rambler. It's brilliant. I really like it. I highly recommend that you check it out too. You see, I'm not one of those artists who has trouble saying nice things about himself. I'll see you very soon. Podcast is part of Britpod Scene, an independent network of uniquely British podcasts that's always growing. Check out BritpodScene.com or follow Britpod Scene on Twitter to find out more.